0: Tom, I want to repeat that statistic because it almost defies belief. You raised £38.9 million for NHS charities in under four weeks.
1: Can you even believe that now? That was a lot of money, wasn't it, in short time. I mean, you never did you anticipate when we started it would turn out like that. You're in the Guinness Book of World Records. For the most money raised by any individual charity walk in history. Yes, that's amazing, isn't it? I'm very happy that it happened, but there was a lot of the people helping and a lot of people subscribed to that fund. So, so we must say thank you very much to everyone. They were all so kind.
0: Uh welcome back to the What's Happening Podcast. Um after a week, hiatus. Uh my name's Jordan. And I am joined today by Scott and Harry. And we're here to discuss inspirational people or people who have, you know, sort of inspired us along the way. Obviously, the guy in the intro was Captain Tom Moore, mm-hmm. who raised 32 million for the NHS, um, walking 100 laps of his garden last April. Um, Great achievement for him. Um, great achievement for this country. And also, you know, he's not in our list of heroes that we subscribe to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But having said that, you know, I think it's nice just to put him in there because he yep. would be an inspiration Absolutely. to a lot yeah. of yeah. people.
2: Yeah, I think I think given giving him putting him in that intro is is certainly giving him the credit that he so deserves. Um and I do think I know we've had this this conversation in the pipeline for a while now, but um I think he's the perfect sort of character to relate to what we're going to talk about and so i think it's a lovely way to lovely way to begin
1: yeah good way to kick it off he's just after it was yeah this last couple of days you know of the COVID, and then but yeah he's he's definitely went out in the high of his whole life you yeah know what I mean? um yeah so we just thought we'd add that in
0: there you know obviously on captain tom moore there but if we move on and look at you know into who we have as inspirational characters that we have came across now these these individuals can be dead or alive you know in the case of some of mine they're fucking three thousand years old but you know it's more just how they've sort of affected our lives so i'll start with because our lists are very different um and we have different people and you know in them for different reasons so i'll start with harry right simply because you're sitting to my right and because i'm right-handed it kind of makes more sense <laughs> but um First, just give us the first person. When, when I asked you this question a few weeks ago, yeah. you know, inspirational person, or people,
1: should I say, who was the first individual that really came into your head, like, straight away? Straight away, Anytime time I've been asked this question before, I've always said the same answer, and it is cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin. He's the first human being ever to leave planet Earth. And I think that fact alone speaks volumes. Like, imagine being the first human off the surface of the earth. Well, sorry, out of the atmosphere of the earth. Yeah. Um, 12th of April, 1961, um, in the Vostok one capsule. And, you know, like I always put myself in his shoes. Imagine being on the launch pad, you know, uh, a in our Cosmodrome, uh, which is former Soviet Union, um, which is now Kazakhstan, I think. Um, Uh, Put yourself in his seat. You just don't know. Will this thing blow up on takeoff, or will will it just disintegrate? Yeah, you know, on the space flight, like it is terrifying. And I think, quite frankly, the man had serious balls. (laughs) (laughs) that's literally (laughs) you've took (laughs) the words out of my mouth. That man (laughs) had some serious kahunas on him. Like (laughs) fucking it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, again, yeah. So,
0: So okay, so. He, he was, started the the bravery, right? Because yes. that's a, that is a good one. It's a lot about taking risks. Mm-hmm. What sort of, you know... Like, he's sitting, right? So, he's
1: about to go up into space. What type of shit, you know, could go wrong? Oh, endless, yeah. Like, obviously, it had calculations. You know, all the, the engineers and the scientists working on it had calculations. Yeah. But back then, you know, when... Because it, it when was, was this? 1961, 61. like it's so like primitive, you know. See you know the what thing, I mean? like the thing that gets me
0: about space flight, right? Because I always, when I was younger, liked the idea of being an astronaut. Always so, oh, yeah. so does everyone. everyone. It always yeah. the same. Yep. yep, absolutely. For me too. Yep. yep. But like the thing that got me, the amount of disasters, like per person, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. Like, yeah. Is crazy, crazy like, high. And even like I remember, the worst one I ever recall was. I always get the names mixed up.
2: Was it Challenger or... Challenger... Challenger. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, <laughs> go ahead, Scott. Uh, Challenger blew up um, whenever it launched. You, no, what was the other one? Columbus, Columbia. Columbia Columbia. Or Columbia sorry, Columbia
0: yeah. terrifies me because basically for anybody that didn't know, and this is just going off on a tangent, but it's a good one mm-hmm. for the thing. Yeah, Columbia launched, right, to do mm-hmm. a routine mission to the space station. And basically the idea was the astronauts would go up in the space shuttle Columbia, dock with the space station stay there do their duties for like a week and then come home but what happened was in take off it was like a bit of the wing or something broke off like yeah. something to do with like shielding it from
2: it was a bit of a f- i think it was a bit of foam yes from the uh like from al-
1: the- it almost looked like insulation or something like
2: <laughs> yeah no it was a bit of foam from the external tank yes
0: yeah that, like flew off and hit it but at that speed and it had something to do with the re-entry
2: yeah, that, it it yeah. hit the um the tires yeah. underneath the. Um, That's what it was. It, it was, was the protective tiles yeah, the heat protective yep. tires. Yeah. Yep.
0: So what happened was NASA basically assessed the data and all, and realized that on return, the die right on the way basically because it had mm-hmm. damaged the heat resistant pads on the wing that upon upon reentry. Basically, the heat would have melted the wing off and the just disintegrate. Disintegrate, yeah. right. They didn't even tell them. No, that's the thing. They didn't tell these astronauts because why
2: would you? You know, mm-hmm. the seven days left. No, actually, you know the way you said it it went to the space station? It didn't. It went up and it had a lab in the back of it. That's what
1: it was. And, and yeah. the, the fuselage uh, p- opened up in the... Yeah, and a, it did, like... What do you call it, the... Uh, The space shuttle, yeah.
2: Um. Well, the back end, like on this particular mission, from memory, what was in the cargo hold? It it wasn't designed to like bring a satellite up or anything. The cargo hold was kept closed for the whole mission. Yeah. Right. It was just as far as I'm aware, but it was just like a laboratory in the back of it, so that they were scientists just doing experiments. Like experiments. Okay. They didn't have to go to the space station to do it. Um. And
0: they were up seven days, nonetheless. Yeah, because it
2: had to went to the space station. NASA would have ordered them to stay on the space station. Uh, and it would have been all right. But they yeah. weren't going to the space station. So in uh, okay.
1: Darfur, they couldn't have. Yeah, docked. they couldn't have. Yeah, yeah. yeah. okay. Because Intra- I did wonder
0: about that, mm-hmm. but okay, that clears that up. So basically, NASA knew that upon re entry, they were going to die, mm-hmm. didn't tell them. And it was like, upon re entry, like I read up in the stories, and like basically, it so it entered the Earth's atmosphere at whatever crazy speed they do, like, mm-hmm. and then the wing flew off. And when the wing flew off, the thing just went into free fall, mm-hmm. and you know it started flying about everywhere. You know the cabin, the window blew up in the cabin, mm-hmm. like cracked, and at the height it was at or whatever, at the compression, like I'm, like doctors said, would have literally like your head would have exploded, yeah. basically. Yeah. Um, and it's just shit like that that's kind of like, you know, it shows you the dangers because a lot of people don't, because a lot of people don't die in space, people think, oh, it's safe. Both. But the reason they don't die in space is because there's barely anybody yeah. in space. Yeah. Um do you know what I mean? Um so that's so would you say, Harry, he the main thing that inspired you about him is his bravery.
1: Bravery and just like leading light? Yeah, and just being like the first man. Yeah. Yeah. Like he was going off his Yeah, just I don't it's know. It's kinda like Neil Armstrong, you know. It's like kinda like put yourself in the shoes of Christopher Columbus. Yeah. Only it was a level up yeah and and he didn't commit genocide well that, that's <laughs> uh, also true um against space people but, but it's quite sad you know um i think it was 1967 um like six years after um he went on oh that yes mission i have heard of this vostok one he was back in the soviet air force because that's what he used to do he used to he used to be a soviet air force fighter pilot yeah. um but after he was Doing a routine training mission in a Mig fifteen, and it crashed, and he lost his life. Unfortunately, thats shit like is isn't it? After after <laughs> after crazy going crazy, to this, bad luck. Yeah, after being the first man in space and then coming back down and dying in a plane crash, like doing yeah. what doing what you were going to do, like do yeah. you on a daily basis. Yeah, you know absolutely. What I mean? that's yeah, crazy. dying in your day job. Like, yeah, yeah, that's but, crazy um, like. What a In my mind. What a what a legend. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. I think
0: it's key as well to point out like. People like to say that America won the space race. Not in my opinion. But the only thing America did first was land a man on the moon. Mm-hmm. Russia had the first man in space, first <laughs> animal first in space. Dog. Yeah, first dog. Yeah, first uh, satellite, Sputnik. Mm-hmm. Um, first docking. First docking in space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. First space station. Yeah. There you go. For yeah. Salute one or something. Yeah. Call it. Yeah. That's right. Um, so do you know what I mean? That's just a key thing to point mm-hmm. out there. And I think it's an interesting point in terms of you know unsung heroes. Yeah, like... Because I have... I'll go on to you in a second, Scott, but one of the people that really hit me was Alan Turing. Mm-hmm. And I'm only going to talk about him briefly, but basically to anyone that didn't know, Alan Turing was like a mathematician who basically worked for the British government and helped them solve the Enigma yeah. machine, which was basically like how Germany coded oh, okay. its messages and stuff yeah. during World War yeah. II.
1: And, you know, he saved millions of lives doing that. But Sorry you, to interrupt, um, but I knew about the Enigma machine, but I never knew it was... Yeah, Alan Turing. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Um... Well, not just him, but like Uh, as a team, the movie would make it out that it was him, but it wasn't just him. But the story of his is the most interesting Mm -hmm. because after the war, obviously, because the Enigma thing was such a secret, Mm -hmm. during the war, he couldn't tell anybody what he did. After the war was over, he couldn't tell anybody what he did at all. They found out he was gay. And basically, back then, it was illegal to be gay. And it was either give him a prison sentence or chemical castration, which basically is like, you know, stops you getting aroused and stuff, right? Yeah and you know he was frowned upon and he was considered you know just like a weirdo for being gay back then Mm -hmm. and stuff and people just like he's a weird like genius freak you know like Mm -hmm. those type of people yeah and yeah the rumor is he killed himself right now the problem with this is when they found his body in his bed right there was a half-eaten apple beside his bed Mm -hmm. and there was cyanide in his system Mm -hmm. and the coroner and stuff ruled that he had ingested the cyanide through the apple and that had, that's what killed him but he deliberately you know put it in the apple yeah but the apple was never tested and he used to work with a lot of cyanide um and like his machines and stuff mm-hmm. and you know he could have you know accidentally poisoned himself but the overall ruling at the minute you know is that he he killed himself and if mm-hmm. that's true you know here's a guy who one of the most intelligent people to ever live see, so have millions of lives yeah. by breaking a machine that was considered unbreakable absolutely yeah not only that but he wasn't allowed to tell anyone even though he was a national hero and then he gets punished by the very state that he worked to protect punishes him to the point that he kills himself truly really takes sad. everything he knows it is, it's sad with him man. to the grave without one, without anybody knowing you know what he'd done and i think you know it is that unsung hero
1: kinda, you know, America gets all the plaudits. Yeah, for like if you World go War up to or for the space race and stuff. You go up to a lot of people in the streets these days. Everyone's heard of Neil Armstrong, but I reckon at least fifty percent haven't heard of yeah. uh, it. Oh, I'd say a lot more. 99 yeah. yeah, yeah, percent I would absolutely. say. He,
2: certainly I, I would say maybe if you went to I don't know. It depends on where you go. Yeah. Um, I'd say even if you went to the US, I'd say the figure would actually be a bit higher. So you go, Belfast, you go into Belfast, Belfast or Lisbon,
1: yeah. people will look at you. Who, who's that? Exactly. the
0: same with uh, Thomas Edison and yeah. mm-hmm. Nikola Tesla. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, Tesla was the one who invented um, alternating current and basically invented the light bulb. Yep. Edison took all the plaudits for it. Yep. You know, I'm pretty sure Tesla died in like some hotel room, just like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Um. So that's kind of, you know, it's the unsung hero thing um, yeah. that I think appeals to a lot of people and you know even until that imitation game came out you know when that movie came out i didn't know who alan turing was mm-hmm. obviously like i kind of watched the movie and then you know done my own like more research around oh it. yeah yeah i i hadn't heard of him until no. like
2: the movie had come out and again i haven't i haven't seen the film but i did my own research on him and like whenever i'd heard a lot of people talking about him whatnot you do you do your research on him and it's such a, it is such a sad sad story yeah. even from a very socially conservative person yeah, like myself like yeah it's um, it's it. He should have been
1: absolutely on a pedestal. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah precisely that. Precisely, right, that. he never was. No, he never was.
0: Um, yeah. So he's he's sort of a sort of, uh, you know, inspiration, but not my main one. But uh, you know, he's up yeah. there. But oh yeah. Okay, so great choice, Gagarin. Yeah. Um, thanks. Um, Gagarin, and that's good choice as well, Scott. First one that came to your head. Um, first one that came. And to me, why? Obviously, I was
2: going to say. The first, I was actually, I was actually not going to do the one that comes to my head first. I was well, going. Who, to who go, who 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 you find after reflection is the most? No, well, no, but the one that comes from my head. I was going to actually say one of mine relates very closely to unsung hero. Okay. Um, so go court then. Yeah. My first one is Alexander Carlyle. Okay. And I guarantee you, absolutely none of you out there have heard of him. No, he I, is. I
1: haven't heard of him
2: before tonight. I, even still, um, Jor- Jordan, you'll be you'll be happy to hear this. He's a an Estonian. Oh, there we go. <laughs> he worked for Harlan and Wolf. He worked for Harlan Wolff. Thomas, and Thomas Andrews was an Estonian. Yeah. Well. Um, he? this mm-hmm. man was essentially had Thomas Andrews' job. So uh, before w- Peer- William Peary. William Peary. Uh,
0: was? He chairman of Harlan. Wolf he was chairman of war- Harlan and
2: All these names will come and into the yeah. end of the story here. Okay, go ahead. Um. But um, he, he was born in uh, eighteen fifty four in Ballymena. Now he, this this man is not my main inspiration or anything, but he's a man who I've known about for a good few years. I'm massively into like shipbuilding and specifically the Titanic, and yeah. he's very much related to that story. But um, the Titanic just for a bit of background, the Titanic and our sister ships, the Olympic class, they were um they were conceived in Belgrade and London in nineteen oh seven um as a bid to get uh to for white star to build ships again going against their competitors cunard and for britain as a whole to build ships against the germans mm-hmm. um and it was actually uh william peary and bruce Ismay, peary being the chairman of harlan wolf and peary, uh, ismay uh sorry being the chairman of white star line and they came together and built their uh, had the idea of building like three of the largest ships in the world so on and so forth um, and I'm sure the re- the most people know the rest of the story, but this is a bit of the story that no one ever hear- hears about. Um, the main design, or one of the main designers in Harlan Wolf at the time, was Alexander Carlyle. And um, he, was fr- he was involved in the design of... Peary was overall design. He was very much aesthetic of the ship, what you see. Um, Carlyle, he was very much into interiors and systems on the ship, sa- safety systems and stuff. And he was in charge of that, and from um from the get go, he said these ships she these ships are going to be forty five thousand tons, these ships are massive, um they should have provisions for at least I think it was at least forty eight but up to sixty four lifeboats, and um he also uh took he, he did take this he did take the um the design of this from other ships at the time, but he. Impur- or implemented the watertight uh, door system on the shi- on the ships. Yeah,
0: um, um, sorry to interrupt, but if you've seen the Titanic, you'll have seen the watertight doors yeah. close in the boiler room. Mm-hmm. Um, that basically the idea of that is to compartmentalize yeah, the water. Yeah. And precisely that. Spirit, just so, like you know.
2: Yeah, sorry, pr- yeah. precisely that. Precisely that, and um, he very much th- that system was very much implemented. But the lifeboat situation now, he had William Peary. The chief of Harlem Wolf, Bruce Ismay, the chief of White Star Line, and the Board of Trade themselves against him. They all said, and I quote the Board of Trade here, was a ship of 10,000 tonnes and upwards had to carry 16 boats under Davits, but the committee recommended that the number of boats carried under Davits for ships over 45,000 tonnes should be 24. Now, that was only a recommendation, it wasn't law. The law was 16. So the Titanic put or the, the the design of the Titanic was originally meant to be like forty eight with provisions for sixty four, but um, William Peary and Bruce Esenay were like no 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 we need the deck space for first class passengers we need the deck space so they can see sea views and stuff, and Alexander Carlisle stood strongly against this and they were like he was like these um the committee or the Board of Trades uh, regulations are so far out of date and. Uh, we need to implement that many lifeboats. And he kept arguing that right through the design phase to the point he actually quit his job in 1910, which was a massive, massive job. Massively well-paid job. And he quit his job because of that. And um, he's basically the only person at the Titanic
1: inquiry who could actually go there without a guilty conscience, I think. If you don't mind, it screams to me that this man valued, yeah, um, the safety of the passengers far beyond how much money he was being paid, and I think it screams to me that guy had heart. You know what I mean? Like, oh, oh, yeah, one hundred percent, um, one hundred percent, and to
2: prove that assistance worked. Now, the Olympic like White Star Line, had a, or had a had a what, what a reputation at the at the time of being the slight like the less safe ships than their competitors Cunard. And um they were quite they did seem to be quite accident prone. Now looking back, most of them were just accidents. There weren't anything to do yeah. with building the ships. Well what happened in Britannia did she not get Britannic. Britannic, Britannic? she not got hit by a German land or it was a German mine? Sea mine or it something? was a mine, yeah. Um but the, the Olympic, um before before the Titanic was even at sea, the Olympic actually collided with a Royal Navy battleship. And uh two of her watertight compartments were breached and the doors and everything everything worked as as it was meant to be it was meant to work. Yeah. And so that like vindicted the Olympic class liners before the Titanic was even launched and whatnot. And um and that sort of like Carlisle was gone out of the company by this stage. But that kind of said, Oh, Carlisle was wrong. The safety systems we have in place yeah. are enough and um William Peary himself said and this is I only find this out today William Peary himself said let me see what was it he said um it was something like um oh these ships only carry like like these ships are unsinkable they only carry lifeboats to help others and that was only like I don't know something like sixty-eight months. What do you mean to help other like other, other ships? Oh, right. Because that was that was a fairly common occurrence. For ships sink. Ships so. Yeah, that was a fairly common occurrence for sh- other ships to then, and it was never usually a big deal because there were plenty of ships in the area, even on the Atlantic. Uh, like even on the Atlantic route, there was always a ship within X amount of minutes to get there, mm-hmm. except in the case of the Titanic. But um, like. He was a. That's that was their attitude. They were they're only carrying lifeboats because they have to. They don't really need them. They're unsinkable. Blah blah blah. And that was only like six to eight months before the Titanic disaster. Was
0: it? Something reminds me. So the guy that, <coughs> the guy that gets the the heat for calling the Titanic unsinkable is Thomas Andrews.
2: No, no. he never actually said it. Well, that's Isn't what I it? was going to say. It's William Perry. Yeah. Oh.
0: But it was Andrews who got the, the stick for it. Stick for it for years. But um, it wasn't anything to do with him. No,
2: it was actually it was. William, like the unsinkable comment, is it's it's very much down to the Mandela effect. It is down to the Mandela effect, and it's more his, like because it's more historic. It's harder to prove, but like, um, it was White Star rather than Harland and Wolf that said it. Peary said it in the follow-up to White Star saying it. If yeah. you get me, yeah, yeah. So it was very much a marketing ploy by White Star rather than Harland and Wolff trying to sell them. If Aye, you know what I mean, yeah, yeah. Um. But William just said, like Perry just said it, like, um, in response to White Star saying it, and it was something that haunted him for the rest of his days. Like, yeah, it did. Like he he it's, wrote it in many diaries. He regrets saying that. Like, it's quite eerie. In a, it is eerie. It, like in
1: a sense, um, it's almost like he put a, a scone on the yeah. the whole um voyage. But yeah, there's uh, you say sixteen. Lifeboats on yeah well Titanic that's,
0: that's what sorry, the, sorry sixteen
1: right okay this is what the thing is thing right? thingy
0: recommended for what forty eight
2: um Jesus right so well the, the, the and then the half
0: of them were empty isn't the one yeah. as well yeah, yeah.
2: Now, night Carlisle he said it should have been forty eight with provisions for sixty four depending on like how many people were on. like I think the vessels could carry up they, they could carry up to two thousand five hundred people but the Titanic on it that night was carrying two thousand two hundred. Um and I think the uh what was it? Oh, where was it going with that? Oh yeah, like the, the Board of Trade they said sixteen are fine, sixteen's legal, or sixteen is legal like and it should have been illegal. Well it should have been more. <laughs> yeah, it yeah, be, yeah, in yeah. hindsight it should have been more. But um it that's the that was the legal requirement and White Star were just like, Oh, we'll put four collapsible lifeboats, which means they're just like smaller yeah. and they sit like in in like they're not underneath davits which are cranes. Um, to lower them, and they were just like, that's just extra. That's We're going above and beyond what the regulations were at the time, but Carlisle could see that these ships were far bigger than when the regulations were made. Like outdated. Yeah, they were outdated and like, the regulations said it's recommended 24 boats for over forty-five, like ships over 45,000 tons. Well, these were the first ships to ever get to 45,000 tons. So, and Carlisle could see that and He's, he's a name that i even went like even earlier on just to get a bit more about his background and stuff i went to his wikipedia page and there's very very little there like no one ever knows of him yeah, yeah. and yet he's someone who could have and very much like it was just the powers that be that stopped him but if he had got his way basically everyone would have been saved oh, that yeah. night because um, it was Yeah. because in- yeah. that's another thing the ship stayed at the surface for two hours 40 minutes that was because of his design and the the um the watertight compartments And it would have been planning a time to get everybody off the ship. Yeah, precisely that, precisely that. But they just didn't because money. Money talks.
1: Yeah. I would also, you know, like, you know, read about Titanic as well. Like, and Jordan pointed out that there was lifeboats going out with hardly, you know, like anyone in them. There was was one report that one went out with 12 on board Yeah, with a capacity of... 60, 60, 60 or 70? 60 or 70 people. Mm-hmm. And it was... They didn't want them to be cluttered and stuff um, because the first class people would have been complaining and stuff like that. But it really is disgusting-like. Mm-hmm. And uh, surely after the Titanic disaster, the regulations would have oh been updated. like The sure. Titanic disaster,
2: very much... Like, there's still regulations in the border trade now that, that were implemented yeah. from the Titanic disaster. Yeah.
0: I think... You can look at that throughout throughout history. Sorry, in terms of like key events that lead to things being changed. Oh yeah. So like the key ones that come to my head are obviously the Titanic disaster, you know nine eleven mm-hmm. for aviation and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. Death of Art and Senna for yeah, motor for racing. One, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know there are key. It's funny that there are key things that, you know, and it's kind of like the idea of there always seems to be in situations like that somebody in the background being like. There's something going to go wrong here. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like before Art and Senna died, you know, it was him himself. He, uh, you know, go ahead. What are you going to say?
2: No, I was actually going to say like in the Challenger disaster, too, there was someone that said, was do there? not launch this craft. The, the O rings oh, are really? going to explode. Yeah.
1: There's always these people floating around in the background that are, you know, yeah. like spotting the air that no one else can yeah. see. Yeah.
0: There's always somebody like, oh, the issue is, you yes, uh, assume. So sort of fucking I'm sorry, I'm not <laughs> actually bored, but um there's always people that assume something's gonna go wrong with everything mm-hmm. and you know you're obviously nine times out of ten you believe that person is crying wolf. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or just oh, they're talking shit. But you know, every now and then it's do you know right. what it's funny that like um you know, thinking, Oh uh, should I do this, shouldn't I, you know, like and it's the same you know, you look at Albert Einstein fled from Europe, yeah. before World War Two because mm-hmm. he kind of went. Mm, this is going a bit south. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. There's always those people yeah. that you know have that sort of that sort of thing in their head. But that's no, a very very interesting story about Robert Carli- Robert Carlyle. No, it was uh, Alexander Robert, Carlyle. Robert Carlyle's a fucking actor. <laughs> yeah, Alexander. <laughs> Alexander. Car- Why did I say Robert? Yeah, Alexander, <laughs> Alexander Carlyle. Um, what did he do then? So he le- You said he left Harlan and Wolf in nineteen ten. Yes. Where did he go after that?
2: Um. Well, he actually pursued pursued politics alongside. Like he was. Um. He was viscount. Oh. Okay. He, I think he was a viscount. Was he a viscount? Was he or was he a lord? Um. No, he was a lord. Apologies. He was. He actually was in the House of Lords and stuff. It was. Um. Carlisle was actually related to Peary. Like it was very much a family business at the top and the andrews family were a ridiculously aristocratic family in northern ireland or what is now northern ireland at the time yeah and carlisle was brother-in-law to peary as far as more i oh, think ridiculous. so like he had the money that way the very much he was very much intermingled with that family and very much intermingled, intermingled with the aristocracy of the time um and so like he didn't really need to go anywhere per se. He remained as a consultant at Harland and Wolf and he remained like he, he his job was very much like it was very much um he quit it and then sort of rejoined it. Like they sort of like asked him back, can you come and consult us? But they never took it in on uh, into consideration his these design proposals yeah. for the for the Olympic class. And um well, they certainly did after after the Titanic sank. The Olympic came in into in Belfast in nineteen thirteen and everything that he everything that he said do was very much implemented mm-hmm. um and the same on the britannic uh but like he, he actually he went for politics as well and he he stood in the he stood in the house of lords and actually he stood as an independent unionist um in west belfast in 1908 Jeez. um which is, ball, move. is a
0: ballsy move it's a ballsy move ballsy
2: move and he got uh, i think it was about 150 votes <laughs> <laughs> Because that was
0: right, at the height of the home rule crisis. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Wow. Like yeah. what year did you say? Nineteen oh eight. Yeah, that was like yeah. yeah Jesus,
2: like, it's crazy as well. Just to, just to go off on one, um, like how closely linked the construction, the design, construction of the Titanic is to the home rule situation. is yeah. like the amount of links, like William Peary invited over Churchill. And this, I know this is a big tangent, but William Peary he uh, invited over Churchill, um, to actually give a speech pro home rule and the shipyard workers who were all unionist all started like throwing eggs at them and like were, were about to shoot both Churchill and Perry and you know? all
0: Churchill's a mercurial character like oh,
2: oh unbelievable wow. yeah. Um
0: yeah he's one of those characters in history you know divides opinion you know one mm. way or the other like you either love him or you hate him like uh, I don't know my standing in Churchill I
2: don't know mine either.
0: No, I you know, some of the things, don't get me wrong, you know, he was he helped a lot in the fight against the Nazis. Mm-hmm. Nowhere near as much as people some people give him credit for mm-hmm. and too much. Do you know what I mean? Like some people I, credit him to be the only reason we won we war. won the war. Yeah. Others say like, oh, he was he didn't really do any different. Yeah. Um I think he sits somewhere in between that, but then again he was a ruthless
1: Oh he was extremely yeah. ruthless. You know, yeah.
0: You know, like eat gallipoli you know not one of his better moments oh God. <laughs> sinking was, of the french oh God. the french fucking fleet He's in to sign marseille or
1: something northern ireland to yeah he was a Republic. big home ruler yeah. he was a yeah. liberal
0: politician yeah, as like, well before the concert weird weird guy like
2: like that's the thing like like i say like well like that he was against the union in 1910 and the, the shipyard workers like i say there were guns on the street they they were. Rumor has it that he was only saved because there was a woman in the car, and they didn't shoot because there was a woman in the car. Like, wow! And um, William Peary was actually sent. Like, that was all surrounding. I think he gave a a
0: speech, Churchill at Celtic Park, which is where Park Centre is. You know the shopping centre yeah, beside yeah. the Balls of the Falls. Yeah, used to be the home stadium of Belfast Celtic, um, who are now no longer in the league because they withdrew in, like, 1968, but basically, or somewhere around then. But basically, they were, like, Linfield's main rivals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was earlier than that, actually. But they were Linfield's main rivals. Both of them had won the main- most titles, mm-hmm. and they were only a stone throws away from each other. But he, I think Churchill gave a speech at Celtic Park there for Home Rule during the Home Rule crisis. Yeah, yeah no, he's
2: very much pro, pro-Home Rule. Though.
0: Weird, weird. And it, that's kind of what gets me, you know, that many Unionists, like, adore this guy. You know what I mean? Because he he, he sold Northern Ireland down the river yeah. for... You know
1: if if De Valera agreed to join the effort for World War Two. Oh, yeah. He was yeah, he was gonna get yeah. He was going to give Northern Ireland to the Irish Republic.
0: So he's way way I don't know how to take him. But anyway, sorry, off on a tangent. Um <laughs> so we've got Yuri Gagarin, Alexander Carlyle, mm. and my it's hard to say, like there's not one person that I would, you know, stack above everybody else in terms of you know who i consider to be my kind of hero it's not to say heroes but just inspiring people who Mm -hmm, i'm like wow you have some mad story but you know definitely near the top would be alex honnold and Mm -hmm. um basically he is a he's a free he's a rock climber right and i don't know what i know you haven't have you seen free solo yeah so basically this guy if you haven't seen it the documentary's on National Geographic. You'll get it on, what do you call it? Um, it's Disney on, Plus. It's on Netflix. It's on Netflix, yeah. yeah. Um, Disney Plus as well. And basically, he does what's called free soloing. So free soloing is free climbing, no ropes, and solo on your own. And, you know, when I say rock climbing, it's not really rock climbing because my opinion of rock climbing is climbing shit where there's actually stuff to hold on to. This guy, so basically, in this film, he follows Alex Honnold in Yosemite Valley, right? And he plans to climb El Cap, which is mm-hmm. this vertical cliff. That what were you gonna say?
2: No, I was gonna say like, uh, yeah, I haven't haven't watched the show. I'm just saying, I I, I know where.
0: Yeah.
1: Yosemite is. And it's for those who don't know, it's the mountain on the North Face logo. That is. I didn't I know that.
0: That's Half Dome. Oh. Which is in which is in Yosemite Valley as well. Okay. Which he is all, wh- yeah. Which he has also climbed. Um, that's why the mountain's called Half Dome. Like if you look at the mm. North Face logo, it looks like half a dome. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like cut in half. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, Half Dome is basically right across the way from yeah, El Cap. Right. Yeah. He's climbed Half Dome as well, but basically El Cap or El Capitan, to give it its official name, is this sheer rock face, mm-hmm. pure granite of, I think it's in the region of nine hundred meters, Jesus, vertically upright. So. If you think loads of people, you know, over the summer and the last few weeks were climbing like the Morns and stuff. Mm-hmm. For reference, Sleeve Donard is metres, eight hundred and sixty something meters, isn't it? Eight fifty two. Eight fifty two. Yeah. Um. Close enough. Uh. It was <laughs> two stories <laughs> off. But yeah. Um. So Sleep Donard's eight hundred fifty two meters. So you imagine when you're standing on the top of Sleep Donard and you can see the ocean or Newcastle or the beach, right? From there to the bottom, or if you've ever been at the beach at like Murlock or, Mm -hmm. you know, Donard Car Park or something, and you look up at Steve Donard and like, fuck me, that's quite tall. This guy scaled a sheer rock face that height Mm -hmm. with no ropes, no help whatsoever. And the thing that, you know, baffles me in this is, (laughs) it's like... There's a lot of things I see right in life. I've seen a lot of documentaries, I've watched a lot of TV shows, read a lot of books about people, you know, seen a fair amount of stuff for 22 years, right? Haven't seen everything, but I've seen a lot of Mm -hmm. shit. Mm -hmm. And there's very few things I'll watch and be like, wow, I'll probably be like shocked by. Yeah. That there. That was on. You know, one of the other things this year was the Grosjean crash in Formula One, right? That genuinely shocked me, right? But. Watching here. this documentary for the first time, I have never been as, like, I don't even know what the word is. Like, literally, I don't know, like... Fixated on Yeah, like, just pure, like, holy fuck. Like, <laughs> yeah. this guy is climbing a sheer cliff face, a kilometre high in the air, with no harness. That if he makes the slightest mistake, he's dead. And it's not even like, it's not even like you're climbing, like, you think a rock climbing, right? And you go to a rock wall.
2: Yeah. And there's stuff to hold on. And to. And you're
0: thinking, you know, these these edges are quite big, right? Mm-hmm. The guy is literally gripping onto something not even half a centimeter long. Like he's looking yeah. at like there's one specific bit, right, where he's basically his two feet are on this sh- like sh- I mean sheer vertical cliff, like it's almost as flat as like if you put a table up vertically. Mm-hmm. That there's n- and he's grabbing on to like like it would be imagine you had um. Like imagine, you know why some people have like marble tabletops and stuff and they get a wee chip in them. Mm -hmm. Or if you have a wooden table and there's a slight chip in the wood. Like you know in school the tables had the wee chips in them and Mm -hmm. all. Imagine that vertical for 900 meters and all you have to grab onto and pull yourself up to is the wee chip someone's made in the desk. It's like, it, it, it is the most insane thing I have ever seen in my life. I have never witnessed anything as, you know, in terms of bravery sheer raw strength mm-hmm. willpower and just utter like disregard for your own life it is the cr- it is honestly insane and like the sheer strength required mm-hmm. the sheer like forget about mental yeah physical yeah like it took him three and a half hours right yeah three In three and a half three and, hours? and a half hours are you sh- yeah
2: that's, like,
0: I would have thought it would have been taken longer than that. No, 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 that, s- like. no three, exactly. Donner, it's about three hours up you your walking yeah. yeah. Three and a half hours of vertical climbing where you're gripping on to, you know, you're pulling your entire body weight up with a fingernail. Uh-huh. And if you fall, you're dead. Completely exposed to the elements. Like, it's not like this. The thing that got me about it as well is it's not like it's a hidden thing, right? So, for example, you know, in the more Mountains, you have the Devil's Coach Road. And if anybody's climbed it, it's basically like it's not vertical, it's maybe like a 60 degree angle, mm-hmm. 70 degree angle. Th- like parts of it are basically near vertical. Oh, aye, yeah. But it's enclosed, you know, yeah. like...
1: I was going to say, like, the f- a gust of wind or something yeah. like that. Like oh, yeah,
0: like, it's pure... Ex- like, where he is climbing, it's as exposed explode, as you if explode, you yeah. were climbing a ladder that was just vertical and standing up on its own. That's mm-hmm. how exposed it is. Yeah. Um. And, you know, the thing that got me, you know, more about the documentary in terms of, you know... Not necessarily inspired me, but something that definitely stuck with me is just people are like, "Oh, how can you do that?" You know, one fall you could die, and he's just like, "Yeah, I don't really care." It's so like why, he's just like, "If I die, I die."
1: Why is he going Jesus. up? Why is he going up there to die? But in the contrary, he was going up there to live.
0: Yeah, he was going. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what he said. He was like, you know, he basically said in the documentary, he was like, "If I go up, I enjoy doing it. If I go up and I die, I died doing what I loved." And he's like, "I'll be dead anyway, so I won't even know." You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And that kind of hit me, because to do something like that, you need to have no fear. And it kind of brings me into the realm of, is it bravery, or is it just a lack of fear? So, for example, like, to him, he has no fear of doing it. Mm-hmm. Right? And he literally said about it, because he obviously had people fill him the climb, mm-hmm. and it he said, you know, the one thing that puts him off is not the chance of him dying, it's other people seeing, seeing him his, die yeah i remember he him was saying. like if i die i don't care he's like if i go up my own i die so what but mm-hmm. it's pe- i wouldn't want people seeing me die and you know it kind of like it, it gets you know in a situation like that it's just weird to, to get in like get into the human psyche of someone who genuinely just doesn't care if yeah. he dies mm-hmm. or not like and i think to do something like that you need to you need to almost not care. You know what I mean. You yeah. need to have I nothing think, really to live for. Added, I don't.
1: They had like an agreement that like if he did fall to his death, that the the cameraman either shut the film off or else say he did got it on tape. It wouldn't have ever been published. I think, but it probably would have came out eventually in the woodwork. Like, but I think that's what his wishes was. Yeah, but
0: it's just it's, I don't know. It's
1: like I wonder if he was all there. Like the yeah. to have that such little fear i wonder if he maybe was well, to de- be deficient power, in something or maybe he went
0: or he went to a doctor to see about that and whether he like there's something wrong with his brain and basically there's a part of his brain that stimulates like you know excitement or thrill or whatever and apparently it was a lot less active than most normal people so like he needed a lot more to stimulate him so to him you know maybe climbing a sheer rock face is the same as me sitting and watching a movie you know yeah, what i mean yeah yeah um but i think you know the thing that just gets me about him is like he lived in a van like he's just he was so dedicated all he wanted to do was cl- rock mm-hmm. climb that
1: was his everything yeah you and know like, he, he broke up with girls yeah over it and stuff lived like in it. a
0: van for nine years just Jesus. because all he did not because he didn't have the money mm-hmm. just because it was the easiest way for him to get to places yeah. to climb rock faces you know what I mean? And I think that's something to take from it as well. It's just, if you want to do what you want to do, just do it. Yeah. Like, he has literally just decided, you know what? Fuck living in a house. I just want to live in a van and climb mountains.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good, like. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And the, all right. Now. But maybe not uh, El Capitan. Yeah, well, fuck, no way. But, um, <laughs> I wouldn't do it with ropes. You couldn't do it with, Like,
2: us individuals. like you saying you were like, oh, I would only do it with ropes. But, like you need the technical skill to oh do yeah. that as well. oh, oh yeah you like yeah we'd have like to be you know such such it's kind of like crazy, it's crazy. Like
0: the elite of the elite of the elite of the elite like yeah. someone who climbs K2 in winter would never consider that yeah Yeah. You know? and there's a guy in the video who is another like rock climber right mm-hmm. and he's you know he was really famous and he's climbed El Cap you know with ropes numerous times yep. which I think is crazy and he's a free soloist as well like he free, free climbs mountains and stuff mm-hmm and he was asked, "Would he ever free climb like El Cap?" And he was like, "Not a chance. No way in a million years."
1: Was not the guy. He was the guy who went to some Middle Eastern country, and he got held up. Um, he got taken hostage, and he ended I don't know. up. He ended up throwing. He was a climber, like they're over there climbing. I think it was like. It was in Pakistan. It was somewhere in that sort of region, but he also had a, a film. Where he climbed up the the Half Dome. Half Dome, yeah. But, like, with ropes.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I forget his name. It's don't going to really him. annoy me. I can't remember his name. Like, but, but he
1: ended up, like, throwing people... Like, throwing his captures off a cliff. Oh, really? You should watch it. I'll Jeez. I'll get the name of it after. Yeah, get
0: the name of it. That would actually be quite interesting. Yeah. But, yeah, like, you know... It's just the thing that inspires me about him. It's not anything to do with... Uh, he was the, the perfect human. You know, he was mm-hmm brave he was anything like anything like that or he was noble or he did the right thing or his moral values were whatever mm-hmm. the thing that inspired me about him was just the sheer like he, to, to me what he done climbing el cap is the like pinnacle of human Enduring. physicality yeah. yeah do you know what i mean like if you want to see where the boundaries of human sort of strength power um Endurance, dedication, mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff, gets you. It's him. Yeah. It's climbing El Cap. Yeah. That's you know what peak. I mean. Not that peak like peak-like. I've never seen anything. You know, I, you know, you know, you see people are running twenty marathons in twenty days, or mm-hmm. you know, climbing all eight or all what is it, seventy thousand foot, eight thousand meter peaks, or yeah. eleven or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, people climbing Everest without supplementary oxygen you know your man felix Baumgarner jumping out of basically from space yeah that's right all that shit's crazy but nothing i don't think will ever top what alex honnell did mm-hmm. and if any is haven't seen it like watch free i will. solo i will <laughs> it is it's good Like it is crazy i have never in my life watched a doc watched a documentary and you know been like proper goosebumps like mm-hmm. it's mental i've never and like even just who he is you know just a kid who just likes climbing and he's just went you know fuck it, i'm making it my life and if i die i die i'm doing what i love you know what i mean it's kind of like the attitude you know and his girlfriend asked him and she was like you know would you sacrifice doing this to maximize your lifespan for me and he's like no he's like i done this before you came along you knew what you're getting yourself That's into it, yeah. no and i kind of there's a bit of that i like about you know mm-hmm. honest sticking to your guns sticking to your principles he's like no I want to do this. I'll do it. You know what I mean. It was and his mm-hmm. life. And, and was... if you want to become a part of that, that's on you. Yeah. You know, you knew what I was like before yeah, I got involved I in this. To... And I like that. You know, that principled approach of I'm going to do what I want to do. Yes, it. You can argue it's selfish. You know, but at the end of the day, it's your. You only have one life, like, and it's yours. And you can't really shun someone for doing what they want to do. No, I don't like it. Yeah. No, don't get me wrong. If he had kids, slightly different mm-hmm. because he's willingly had them yeah you know yeah. what i mean but in terms of parents and a girlfriend who it's been them that's willingly came to him yeah you know it's kind of like if you don't want to be involved don't but i'm not going to stop doing it and i like that you know sort of sticking to your yeah. principles and stuff so yeah um anyone else you know obviously they're the main ones use of sort of thought but anyone who you know was also came into your head for like you know, sort of inspiring individuals.
2: Well, like, well, I'm actually going to go back to what I'd said. Um, I said about the uh, Alexander Carlyle. I, I just thought he was he was appropriate for the moment. He's not my main one. My main one is, and excuse me for being a bit, uh, a bit mainstream with this, but Sir David Attenborough. Now, and I'm, I think we're actually, uh, I think we're departing from sort of bravery and stuff here, like feats of bravery and moral all good you, you know what you know what i mean but sir david attenborough from a boy like not teenager from a boy he has been my personal idol as he has been for many people around the world like i know fine well i'm not the only one saying this like this is no niche thing this is i know this is a big thing i just thought it, i just thought it sort of bring what he's given to me uh, to the table, but um, why I find him so inspirational? It's just the sheer, the sheer um, like I, I would say, and people can argue against this, but I would say, in terms of individual figures, there's been absolutely no one on this earth who's done more than Sir David Attenborough, to push environmental consciousness. Yeah, which is a massive, massive like, that's that's a massive part of me. It's a massive part of. Who I am, and um, it's actually a massive part of my own personality. Like how much I care about the environment, how much I I do want to care for the environment and whatnot. And um, at the minute, I could be doing more, but the fact that I even think about the environment, like just that, David Attenborough did. <laughs> 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 no, only joking. Like no, but like I think, like I actually think the fact that he like what he had, like fair enough. Like a lot of people will just argue, oh, I was just on TV but it's the audiences it's everyone he's connected with yeah it's the Im- sheer number of people who he's connected with went to and like the amount of people who's like re- like there's laws out there that have been put in place because of that man like what like I, I, there was a law i think there was a law or an act maybe not bit, like maybe not a law but an act and whatnot back in 2016 i think um that the uk government put through and it was Sir David Attenborough. Like it was, it was after the publication of Blue Planet, and I think the UK drew up certain fishing quotas and stuff after the publication of Blue Planet. And it was due to it was Sir David Attenborough. He was in, he was very much in, in with the British government very recently there because the British government have so many overseas, like because Britain has so many overseas territories around the world. We cannot. We have a lot of territory, like ocean territory. And around I think it was Tristan de Kunta, um, which is one of our islands, uh we South Atlantic. It's it? in well, so yeah, South Atlantic, it just like it's off when I say off the coast of Africa, it's like thousands of miles off the coast of Africa. It's closer to Africa this, than South America. Like, yes, that's yeah, it, yeah, that's about it. It's like it's one of the like I think it is like literally classed as the most isolated community on the planet right. or one of. But um the ocean around it like has become the world's largest marine nature reserve. Because of the British government, and thus, and that's down to Sir David Attenborough because he was in, very much in accordance with them, with the British government. But like in terms, like not just that. Like, there's been so many campaigns and whatnot. And I guarantee, if you go to anyone in those campaigns, they say, "Who's your most? Who's who's the person who's inspired this the most in you?" I guarantee a vast majority of them will turn around and say the same man. Yeah. And, I I just believe that, in terms of this this. Certainly, a turning round in in humanity at the minute, especially with the youth of like environmental consciousness uh, coming through and whatnot. I think a lot of that can be credited down or credited to Sir David Attenborough and his, uh, his documentaries and bringing it to. Well,
1: that's it, yeah, because his doc. He he isn't one of these guys that are just for older people. Like, yeah, he tries so hard to connect with people he is day. a natural treasure or a, a na- national national, a national treasure. treasure yeah everyone he is a national from all over the place loves a guy and he's he's even got instagram now he's even
2: <laughs> he actually <laughs> he actually moved himself off instagram did he? he did oh that very did. recently and he just that. was not happy because he just wasn't happy with the instagram culture yeah, fair he enough. hated the instagram culture but it chose so
1: like to
0: well he it, has like 96 it, or something <laughs> well. it wasn't an
1: attempt they yeah, connect yeah, with younger yeah. people. But, but I that, think he does it very well in his documentaries alone. I would argue he connects
2: with younger people better than he does older people. I would argue that. Like I would argue there's like there's a lot of older uh, not a lot of older people, but there's older people who I know who just don't care about him. But, but then, people see him as like a cute grand, I think. Yeah. Yeah, people like people wanna like I feel like people our age wanna Like it's so it's so it is cheesy, it's so cheesy, it's so like he would have been amazing grande. He would have yeah. been, but I think a lot of people just wanna like on, on the Sunday nights of his documentaries, just wanna curl around the T V, have the fire lit or something. And watch Sir David Attenborough, you know what I mean? And um certainly it was a massive part of my a uh, part of my uh like growing up and whatnot. Like I remember I literally remember like like it was yesterday, the first documentary I watched of his was two thousand and nine, Nature's Great Events. Um I remember the I remember it was a six ser- it was a six episode series and for for me now eleven years down the line I still remember three of the episodes very, very well. The first episode I actually watched was the second in the series. And it was about uh it was the great salmon run in uh yeah. Alaska. No, it was British Columbia, was it? It was either Alaska or British Columbia. I think it was BC, yeah. No, it was the great salmon you see there was two on that neck of the woods. Um, and I'll come to that in a second. The first one was the great Salmon run in Alaska where Pacific salmon go up the rivers in Alaska and blah blah blah, like they, they breed and die. And it was about the bears and the birds and stuff around that. The uh, second one that I remember was about a what was the fish? It was South Africa and again, it was like nature's great events. The whole premise around it was events that happen in nature. And, like, rather than just, like, say, a lion hunting an antelope or something, it was, like, a great event that happens on, like, a yearly or, like, certain... Yes, like, like a,
0: bird migration and that like sort of shit.
2: Creatures of a mass.
0: Those crabs, those ma- you know the crabs that cross the road, no? Yeah, yeah. yeah what yeah. is that?
2: That is, I think that's, like, Christmas Island. like yes, In it the Indian in Ocean. Is, yeah. Um, That wasn't one of the episodes. It was, like, it's where... There's certain places around the world where masses of different, like... Different um, fish, no, not even fish, but like it, masses of different species of animal Congreg- all come congregate.
1: So it's like there's one f- for an example. It's like plankton, and then like because yeah. of, because of the plankton, the the fishes are, and then everything else is there, and then everything the is and whales, yeah. and then yeah. birds uh, above. Yeah, you see okay. the birds dive down and get, get yeah, in the yeah, fish, and that's exact, the domino effect. That was the exactly, yeah.
2: yeah, exactly that. Like that was the that was the sec- second episode was. It was actually to do with the current between the warm Indian Ocean and the cold Atlantic Ocean around South Africa. And the, the fish went with it. And so when the fish went with it, the dolphins and the sharks around South Africa, like, worked together. to like. But it showed you this on, like, every episode was, like, showing you the year. The whole year in this one particular area. Okay. And then the third episode that I remember was, as Harry says, it was a plankton bloom. Uh, in British Columbia, mm-hmm. so this was separate to the salmon run, right? Okay, um, but it was just British Columbia, same neck of the woods. It was a, it was a different event, and the the plankton bloom brought herring to the Pacific Northwest, and um, well, it wasn't it was Pacific Northwest and British Columbia, and that meant that the it was following sea lions, humpback whales, and oh, what was what else was it? Uh, orca, and this one episode. I went back to I don't know how many times, but that one episode has stayed in my head since then, and it is actually like it is it's amalgamated in like my favorite animal and all that there, the humpback whale, and that's the that is the episode and I know fine well because I remember sitting watching it and being as you said I was I was nine nine or ten at the time it wasn't mo- it wasn't very difficult to awe me but I was awed, and every time I go Just back feeding the ducks at Wallace Park odd you when you were nine like yeah i know, <laughs> I know but this was like crazy this was yeah, wild yeah, like, and it just hooked me on attenborough and um in 2010 he, he released a, a documentary called life it was just called life and i was i, I remember sitting watching it i was like i was a wee bit disappointed by it because it was like it, i didn't feel as if it was like the same caliber as um nature's great events yeah. yeah but then he blew me away with frozen planet in 2011 and beyond that, I was just absolutely hooked on his documentaries. I think,
0: like, you know, you said, you know, made you like it makes a lot of people as well sort of subconscious about the environment and stuff. Mm-hmm. I think watching a lot of David Attenborough's documentaries for me, anyway, you know, watching animals go through daily struggles and stuff, mm-hmm. you know, for food, for shelter, protecting their young, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. it always resonated with me. It made me feel a lot more. Like an animal. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Because humans of this, and I think I've mentioned this before in this podcast, but it always annoys me. How humans of this sort of self-centered, like, egotistical view that, you know, we are somehow separated from mm-hmm. the animal king. We're not animals because we can yeah. think, right? Yep. And, you know, and religion fuels that and stuff. But, you know, watching those documentaries, seeing those animals go through the exact same struggles that a human goes yep. through. You know, it makes makes you feel a lot more closer to, you know, the animal Mm -hmm. kingdom. And it makes you realize that at the end of the day, you are nothing more than just an ape that learned to talk. Yeah. And it's humbling. And not only is it humbling, but it also makes you look at nature differently and treat animals differently Mm -hmm. and appreciate nature for what it is. You know what I mean? And it just gives you a far better appreciation of what's out there. Like when you think animals, a lot of the time, whenever you do look at it from like a you know, a sapient central point of view Mm is that, oh, they're not really, they're kind of just like robots. They're not really alive. You know what I mean? Like, whereas when you actually, you know, realize and appreciate those animals for living organisms that have emotions and feelings and basically do everything that humans do Mm -hmm. on the most biological levels, you know, they Mm -hmm. reproduce, they, um you know, a lot of them stay with the same partner their whole life. Mm They have, you know, they eat, they sleep, they fight you know they kill each other they protect their young you know they look for shelter all that sort of stuff it does make you appreciate more what's going on and accept Mm -hmm. the fact that you know we're all part of the same ecosystem we're all in this together do you know what i mean
1: we actually looked at the the chimpanzee war uh, yeah in the last in the last episode the
0: Gobi, chimpanzee Chimpanzee war something yeah
1: like they have wars exactly (laughs) yeah do you know what i mean just like humans they
0: kill each other for sport like humans used to you know what i mean and it does, you know subconsciously it makes you it's the same with astronomy you know carl sagan said you know astronomy is a very humbling subject mm-hmm. you know this idea that you know by looking out and learning you subconsciously realize that you are nothing important it yeah and it's the small. same with looking at yeah, yeah at earth and nature mm-hmm. you realize you're nothing important mm-hmm. and it is just a very humbling thing and makes you a better well-rounded individual i think
2: yeah i think it i think it like what's what's really really important in a maturity like in in maturity of a person is realizing that this what we are around nature and stuff we are not above nature we are nature we're part of it you know what i mean and um like going back going back to going back to your point actually about the chimps um one of his more recent uh, documentaries was called Dynasties, which yeah. was like yeah, chimp dynasties. Oh yeah, yeah. I've seen that, yeah. And th- there was one of the episodes that was like it was following Is a it chimp. National Geographic? No, it was BBC. BBC. It was BBC. Um, one of the uh, one I like one of the episodes was following a um, a family. That's the only th- that's the only way I can f- call them a family of chimps. Um I was gonna call them a herd or something, but no, they were a family. herd. <laughs> 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 they were a family. You know what I mean? And um cackle. A cackle. A school. A clan. Yeah. Um but yeah, no, it was like it was it was crazy because it was like and I I said I I'm I'm by no means a massive like I have my animal uh favourites and stuff. I have my favourite animal and the majority of my animals that I really, really like and I'm interested in are marine animals. So the primate one wasn't really something that I was massively interested in. Within the first five minutes, I was hooked, but I was hooked in a way that had never been hooked in a nature documentary before. I was hooked in the way that I wasn't being awed. Well, I was being awed by nature, but I wasn't being I wasn't enjoying this because it was nature. I was enjoying this in the way that I would enjoy a drama. Which was bizarre. Yeah. It was so like human-like. watching It was like watching a soap opera, and I was like what the fuck
0: you know what i mean chimps blow my mind man honestly yeah. like i remember the last time one of the last times i fully remember was i remember i went to belfast zoo mm-hmm. they have the chimpanzees there mm-hmm. and it was raining so they were all inside up against the glass mm-hmm. uh, Aye. and like where i was sitting you know they were you know apart from the glass you might as well have been touching them yeah and there was one just sitting there you know rolling about, there was the mum picking nits out of the hair of another one, mm. and there were two wee kids fighting, and I was just like, you know, like play fighting? Yeah. And I was just like, that's just you know, the dad sitting in the corner, the mum doing <laughs> yeah. the wee girl's hair, and the two brothers fighting, like, arsing about with each yeah. other, you know, it, and it is, it's fast, like, I could sit and watch a chimpanzee or a bonobo or a gorilla or whatever, for days. Yeah. Because yeah. it's, it's fascinating how similar they are to you. Mm-hmm. And when you realise that that similarity, that's when you go, Fuck me. Mm-hmm. I might as well be them. You know what I mean?
2: Like the, you know the way you know, a lot of I think a lot of the times, right? A lot of the time a lot of people don't they, they feel like they can't relate to animals, right? And that's because biological reasons. So for example, a dog's colour blind, so you can't imagine what it's like through a dog's eyes. With the apes They have the same eye setup as us. If they were in the same room as you, they would see the exact same colours, the exact same everything, and they would interpret things in very similar ways to what you would. Now, they can't go as complex as go... Say, that's... I I don't know, like... That's a chair. But if they see you sitting on it, they'll go and sit beside you. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, well, I was... um, I watched this thing, and it was... Again, it was Attenborough, and it was... I don't know the... The title of the documentary, but I've shown news to it before, and it was orangutans, and it was, oh yes, there was an orangutan, and it was in a, like a natural, wooden, looked like a very primitive canoe almost, (laughs) and the the orangutan was in the canoe, with a, a baby, attached to its chest, and it was using its hands as oars, and it was (laughs) it was beautiful. It actually made me a bit emotional because. Like look at that thing, and it's like it's doing exactly what a human would do to get around. Mm-hmm. Okay, it didn't have a horse, but it used its hand as oars. And you know, there was a scene straight after when, it, um, Attenborough was sitting beside a mother, a mm-hmm. um, orangutan, and the kid, or sorry, the kid, the baby again was on her back, and they were imitating humans using a saw and yeah. a, a hammer because there, there was they were on a site and. There, it was a sanctuary where the orangutans could roam around freely. Mm. It was like a drop-in centre almost for yeah. them. Because there's such concern, you know, like mm. of their population. And it, all, it had obviously seen workmen using saws and hammers. And it was using them the exact same... They weren't doing it to do anything, but they were doing it as they were imitating yeah. the humans from using the tools. And it was unbelievable. One of
0: the maddest ones I ever saw was... I was in... We were in Berlin Zoo. And there was a enclosure of bonobos, mm-hmm. which are basically just small chimpanzees. Mm-hmm. Um and it was raining and were it's feeding time and now apes notoriously hate water. Yeah. They hate rain. You know, they hate swimming. <laughs> Much like us. Yeah, you know, we don't hate swimming, but you know, we hate rain. But we learnt yeah, to how like to swim, swimming. Yeah. Oh yeah, we w- it was a, a, it's a learnt thing. Yeah. It's not like walking. You yeah. Know, like, it's not a nat to swim is not a natural thing for yeah. an ape. Um uh, just
2: because a baby can't swim doesn't mean a baby's going to like swimming. You learned to like swimming, yeah. Like yeah, swimming,
0: yeah. Uh, but we hate the rain, mm-hmm. and same we all, ch- all apes. Mm-hmm. And it was pissing down. Well, it wasn't pissing down. It was drizzle, right? It wasn't, like, they also yeah. wasn't even that bad. But they were all, like, scurried under, like, their wee, like, you know, <laughs> bit where they slept. Mm-hmm. And the enclosure, like, the, you know, zookeepers threw the food in. Mm-hmm. And they were kind of, you know, the food was out in the rain, and they were kind of, like, you could see them, you know, Sticking their head out, seeing what it was like as a human (laughs) would. And then all of a sudden, you know, one of them lifted this blanket, Mm -hmm. put the blanket over its head, ran out, grabbed the food, ran back in, and fired the blanket down again. (laughs) (laughs) And I honestly, I like it was, it was mad. Like, see, watching it do that, like, there's a difference in watching them, you know, repeating patterns on a screen or sticking their, you know, a square block through a square hole. Mm -hmm. You know, that's. You know, a baby can do that. Yeah, but having the like logical reasoning, yeah, to not keep them dry, to lift that yeah. up, yeah, to keep their head dry, to walk out and then drop it when they got mm-hmm. back in was mad.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Um, do you know what
0: else is mad what? as well? How you know they're so human when they fuck? <laughs>
1: I, swept, uh, I, went I I haven't went I haven't <laughs> had start no, in, in berlin night, in that.
0: berlin right two bonobos started going at it like <laughs> like missionary uh-huh. right <laughs> and it was that as well hit me like wow that is so, so human, human
1: looking uh, what was the position or? missionary
0: it was just normal like it was mad like i couldn't believe how human that was yeah um well wow. but yeah david attenborough fair enough um,
2: like i just think like the fact that we've just sat and discussed there how mad that all is i think sir david attenborough actually should should be very much credited for introducing, like, very much that interest into so many people, and I guarantee you both your interests, certainly in looking at that sort of stuff. Anyway, oh, it comes it, from him, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. comes with from him, and I'd say the majority of people, um, it comes from or it comes from him as well, and uh, I just think that uh, he's just my you know, uh, my idol, my inspiration. To be quite real, I'm
1: not sure if this is right, but probably back in the day, like people would have been like "No, I'm probably talking about like I don't know like the 50s or 60s I'm sure people were like why are you watching animals you know like I've got better things to do than watch animals on TV but sure so he's like the grandfather he's like the father of introducing yeah like humanity yeah. into yeah, yeah. It, watching animals
2: like, like he like, he himself like obviously he he started his animal shows back then back in like right back in the 50s and yeah. 60s and first of all it started out in zoos and stuff because like TV didn't really have the money to go abroad distance. And, yeah. and it it just so sort of, like it, it got the viewership enough that people like because of his presentation style because of the way he spoke he spoke to he spoke to people in everyday terms in simplistic terms not scientific yeah. like over the top snobby terms he he he's, spoke to them he's such as a humble people guys as well you like, know like yeah like Jordan you said he spoke to you as if he was your granda. Yeah.
0: Like, who was it said? Was it Einstein said, you know, the mark of a genius is being able to explain something incredibly complex to the most simple of minds?
1: Yeah. No, that's a good... Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. And you I like Attenborough that. does that very well. Um, yeah, don't want to move... Don't mean to rush you in Attenborough, but... Um, Harry, do you have anyone else?
1: This, again... Because you could, sit, you could sit and talk about... Oh, you, you could, know, yeah. David yeah.
0: Attenborough for fucking ours. Also, an interesting point, David Attenborough's brother, Richard Attenborough, played your man, you know, Welcome to Jurassic Park, (laughs) um, which is a nice, you know, Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't know that. Um, And also played Roger in The Great Escape. That's right. Yeah. Sorry, Uh, no, Big X. Big X, sorry, in The Great Escape. Um, Yeah, go ahead, Harry, anyone else?
1: This one was... I came up in the car, and I was going to say Winston Churchill. (laughs) But... (laughs) Actually, on second thoughts, I am and I want to respect for Churchill for oh getting the, quiet, getting the country through the war. and that question? He united the country to get through the war. But I was actually going to add a personal, um, person that inspires yeah, me. go for it. Um, both my great grandfathers fought in the wars, and like that for me. Both like, of them fought in both wars. Um, no. So um, my gra- great grand the Graham. Yeah. um thomas graham he fought in the second world war and mm-hmm. my um great-granda bruce he fought in the first world war okay my great the bruce got shot in the wrist in france and he, wow. s- he survived but it was in 1916 and he was deemed unable to fight anymore but it was you know he he, s- he started at 1914 he enlisted in mm-hmm. and, and what age was he I'm I'm not Dunno. I'm not too sure you know what age he died at you know it all the information is on no, hand what, like what
0: age was he in the war?
1: Well, he was born in 1890.
0: 24 then.
1: 24 yeah. It's near our age. Yeah, absolutely. And I know there was millions of other people yeah, who yeah. went to war, but because he was my blood, you know, like oh yeah yeah yeah. I look like I always look up to him. I always look up to both them. My other granda, um, my granda Graham, he was in the Royal Navy. Um, and he served on HMS Royal Oak, and it was a battleship, really big, and it had, I think, 1,200 crew, and um, one night it was moored up um, in Scapa Flow in Scotland, the Orkney Islands. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of like Britain's Pearl Harbour. That's where a lot of the fleet was stationed. And um, It was like a natural...
2: Yeah, like natural harbour. A natural yeah. harbour. Yeah, like Pearl Harbour. Yeah. Like
1: Pearl Harbour. And they actually, what they used to do is they used to sink old ships to create barriers to stop you. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But one night... Uh, Sorry,
0: Royal Oak. Was this World War Two. World War II. Okay. There was... So is this your granda?
1: My great-granda.
0: So one of your great-grandas was World War One. Yeah. And the other one was World War Two. Yeah, That's but the thing is, <laughs> the
1: thing is, my uh, great-granda, Graham, was actually quite... Not old, but he was in his forties. Oh, when he right, was okay, in the second yeah, World yeah, okay, War. right, right. Um, he was at a naval academy, um, in World War One.
2: So he just, I, I think, he just happened to be in the navy at the time World War Two went. Absolutely, he was like, yeah. see,
1: in World War One, he he wasn't he he was on HMS Pembroke, which was a training college. Right, okay, yeah. During World War One, but he, he pursued a career in the navy. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. But, um, the as I was saying, yeah, and one night um, HMS Royal Oak was moored up in Scapa Flow and um, a U-boat, um, U-47, was able to find a a gap to get into the harbour and mm-hmm. it sank Royal Oak. And because no one was expecting it, it was something like 2 in the morning, mm-hmm. uh, 800 people went down, Jesus. died um, in the sinking. And I remember actually, I was telling...
0: Are- Great grander, one of them. Uh, yeah, yeah. But really he survived. But oh, he um, survived. Yeah,
1: yeah, but um, I remember seeing footage, and it was U forty seven, the submarine returning back to Kiel, which is a city in Germany. Mm-hmm. And the crew got off the ship or the, the U boat, and the welcome they got when they w- were back on dry land was a royal welcome. Like it was crazy seeing the other side of it. Yeah, you know, they were. Invo- that was really weird. They were driven to berlin to meet the fuhrer <laughs> adolf hitler uh, there's footage of the captain of the u-boat Gunther preen mm-hmm. he's called you know like having a speech and shaking hands with adolf hitler and i'm like and he could
0: have just killed your granda yeah, he yeah tried, that's tried, so he weird he yeah. tried to kill your great granda and then he's considered a hero in germany yeah. yeah but it's
2: not even it's not even that right it's not even that it's the it's the personal connection harry like from your great granda that you then have to a boy shaking Hitler's hand. Yeah, yeah, and like that as well as like the war in general. Like I don't really certain. I I know my great grand yes my great grandfather. I think it was my 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 dad's mum. So my grandmother's father um was involved in Dunkirk and Burma. Okay. Um, he was in the army we don't know anything else about that because he never spoke about it. He never, as many people did. And um, so I can't really call him an inspirational figure because we don't know enough about him. Uh, Yeah. But like to have like, to watch a video of the U-boat coming home, having just sank the ship your great-granda was on, that was
1: really weird. The thing was why it was such a success story for Mm -hmm. uh, the German Navy was because it was like, September 1949 it was literally at the start of the war so like Hitler was like using this as publicity like sorry no um, propaganda propaganda propaganda. you know look at us we just sank one of the Royal Navy's biggest ships and you know we got home safe we got home dry of it but like your man uh, Gunther Preen uh, the captain of the U-boat is now somewhere off the west coast of Ireland he's been down there for over like nearly 80 years now Right, Jesus. He, uh, he was um, their ship or the Boat. When was. you first said that, I was like, "What well, is he still alive?" <laughs> <laughs> so I. No, no <laughs> I think a a destroyer um took them down with depth charges. Right. Okay. But they never find the wreck. But it's more than likely that he's yeah. on the west coast of Ireland, they're reckoning. Right. right. Okay.
0: It is mad, like, because my my great granda used to work like in the waterworks. You mm. know, like NIE as like it, RFA Belfast. Yeah. Um, not NIE. What is it? Northern Ireland Water. Northern, yeah. Northern Water. Yeah. Um, and I remember my dad telling me a story about. He tells this story all the time. Like, but it was interesting the first time I heard it. But um, basically he was like out fixing like during the Belfast Blitz. Mm-hmm. Was like out fixing, oh. um, you know, like burst water mains and all. Right. And this Messerschmitt flew straight down Royal Avenue, like beneath, basically beneath, the, like the level like the height of the buildings yeah. to avoid like getting you know like shot or whatever and apparently according to my dad you know what my great grandma obviously told him and stuff was that it was that low that my like my granda could have stood or my great-granda could have stood up and touched it uh-huh. yeah and then it just took off over like the city hall and yeah. back to wherever the fuck s- it came s- and it you know oh, shit sorry. like that's just mad i Do was you know gonna what I
2: mean? say i was gonna say he was in the waterworks the belt right. The Belfast Blitz took place over two days, and the first place that they targeted was the waterworks. Yeah, I'd never heard anything about yeah. like. So like he was out in the city. Yeah. He could have died. He had that, yeah, yeah. that day. Absolutely, you know what I mean? That's yeah. crazy. It's, of course he could.
1: When you have like. A, you know, like something like that that happened, you automatically have a connection with the war, and mm-hmm. I think when you hear, I think of,
0: everybody in the UK our age Absolutely. has you something. know when you th- when you actually look at it you know and it is it, it's hard like because my I think it was my great great uncle lost both his legs in the war um, and then there was another one of my great great uncles got shot the day the war ended Jesus really yeah. so this is World War One, like you know the day of the armistice mm-hmm. got yeah. shot on that day by like a sniper and lived like but you know he got shot in the leg or something the day that the armistice was signed, yeah. and then someone else my granny knows, like who's dead now, obviously, but her like four kids all went to the Battle of the Somme. I remember telling you about this, how all four of her like brothers went, our kids, sorry, all four brothers went to the Battle of the Somme. All of them came back alive. Oh my God. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's just when you think of it that way, it is, it's crazy.
1: Like, people feel like a lot of people our age as well are completely disconnected mm-hmm. with it. And I, I guarantee you, if you go in the, the streets of Belfast and you go up to, I don't know, like the kids walking around Belfast on a Saturday and you're like, did you know 75 years ago or whenever it was, this place was being bombed by the Germans? I reckon today there are so little like kids that know that when they're walking in Belfast. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I just think it's something that is so important to me personally to remember
2: yeah no i get you. like i get you like th- there's i don't know the story i don't know enough of the story i don't know enough of it to make a comment but on my mum's side um there is a poem from the trenches i don't know where from i don't know anything about it i just know there's a poem and i've read the poem
1: i've read that poem
2: yeah yeah i don't know where it's from i don't know who it's from what the relation is to me but there's someone that wrote a poem in a trench in the middle of World War One, that's related, like blood related to me. Which is wild. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, But I think when you have, you know, like a story like that, it just makes it feel all the more real. Yeah. You know, that people Yeah, yeah your no, blood. 100%, yeah. Wi- witnessed that. And uh, Jordan, you're, you say your great-granda was mm. at the waterworks? Yeah. You know, like, they were bombing the waterworks, so the next day, the fire crew couldn't put out the fire yeah that's the only reason why it's the
0: same you know my great-grand as well came straight out of school and was straight to harland and Wolf. yeah hauling like lo- what do you call it like planks of wood to put mm-hmm. to be built on ships mm-hmm. yeah you know what i mean like my great-grand i guarantee you like it's just weird like when you think about all those things all that historic stuff the war harland and wolf you know all those black and white photos of the men with like the you know the picky blinders caps on hauling fucking all sorts through harland and wolf in the pissing rain and you're like fuck me like that's years ago and then i'm like you know that was my great granda doing that yeah they're actual people you know yeah exactly it adds the human element Yeah. yeah if
1: i could go back in time to witness a historic event i would definitely go back to the maybe 19 1900s or 1910s to see harland and wolf isn't oh, yeah, it, yeah, isn't not it, 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 isn't it isn't. right that at its peak Harlan would have had over like thirty thousand. Yeah, employees. it was, it was one of the biggest employers in Europe. Like that's cr- mm. that fact alone is yeah crazy.
0: Yeah. Um but yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah fuck right. Like um I have nothing else to add to any of you um, as a final closing note
2: um i think there's
0: just, I just any honorable mentions you just want to say i
1: have a couple i have a couple
0: okay go rapid fire
1: um nicky lauder um i was actually going to mention
0: nicky lauder good shot yeah, yeah
1: um the real quickly uh german grand prix nurburgring um yep. the fire he was the Nordschleifer. <laughs> yeah he was saying this track is far too dangerous to race around and he he got burnt extremely badly he went on to make his own airline called nicky um, it was a big European airline, mm. really big. And one of the Nikki planes crashed and he was the chief investigator of it because he had so much experience with health and safety. Whoa, really? No, that. That, yeah. And he wanted to get to the bottom. Why did his plane crash and why did all those people die on board? And he was the main man man investigation. Well, I never no. it, as someone interested. He was he was, aviation, that is I he was on I watched the crash investigation. You're right, on okay. It, and it was um, he was the first man in the scene along with the Jesus. the investigators. Wow.
0: One a world title after coming back from basically having his whole face burnt off. He uh-huh. stepped yeah. back in my the car two months after mm-hmm. the the incident and said like his hands were shaking. He was that scared. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But fought through and you know.
1: Yeah, my second note actually comes from Scott's inspiring. Um, okay character and it was actually your titanic one Mm -hmm. Um, you know rightly what I'm going to say when the lifeboats were launched there was only one man that came back to look for people still alive and it was a fifth officer, um, Harold Lowe, he was a Welshman Mm -hmm. and he was the only um, white star crew to come back and look for survivors while the rest of the 16 lifeboats went off, sorry the 15 he was the only one that came back, and I think, yeah, okay, it's it's not a groundbreaking story, but no, it's it's it, honourable, uh, definitely honourable. It's
2: brave as well because, yeah. like, uh, the the worry was that the, the ship would suck them under. Yeah, and, and the people trying to board them would try and like yeah swamp swamp sw- so the boat. So uh. the the waited it was, it's quite grim. They waited until the um until the the sound went down. In other words, people died to go and try and retrieve survivors. Jeez.
1: Yeah, but by that like, stage
2: everyone was there. Yeah.
0: yeah, any honour, honourable honourable mentions? Um, still?
2: very personal one because a massive end of photography. It's probably the best photographer I think that's ever came out of what is now Northern Ireland. It was uh, a man called Robert Welsh, um, and again it's the Titanic connection. Um he was the one that uh, documented like Harland and Wolfe from from uh, like 1900 to about nineteen 1914, we'll say. Um. It was actually before that. It was from about eighteen ninety to nineteen fourteen roughly. But um, he also documented right across Ulster, right across like, and I say Northern Ireland as the northern half of the island of Ireland. Yeah. Um, right through the the early or like the late nineteenth uh, century, early twentieth century, and um, his photo, his f- uh, photos still inspire my own photography to this day. So I find him a very inst- inspirational character.
1: Um, he done that photo that was a uh, silent valley before Yep, it was a dam yep. yeah yeah
2: so he took photos of like the morns and stuff and I- i've i've looked at my own like before i even saw his photos of the morns i i put like when i found him i'd already taken photos of the morns before and i was like jesus i've already taken that angle before you know what i mean i've already done that so i feel as if when it comes to photography him and i would probably have like very similar tastes and like preferences of what we do and stuff
1: he's a guy you'd like to sit down and have a be- a beer uh, or a, a cup of tea in
2: terms and of it. historical figures probably it would be top three like yeah anyone else um, Jordan have you got any more yeah have mentions? you got any more uh,
0: probably the main one Democritus right he okay. was a Greek sort of philosopher lived around the time of Plato just before mm-hmm. Plato and basically was the first kind of person to come up with like the like atomic theory of like the world basically mm-hmm. And basically, you know, his idea is that, you know, the world was made of atoms. Mm-hmm. And basically, okay. he created this, you know, was made of atoms that were so small that you couldn't see them. But right. together, they were, you know, created every living thing. And mm-hmm. there was gaps between these atoms and stuff. and mm-hmm. But you couldn't notice them because they were so small. And basically, everything he said is kind of the foundation of, you know, modern atomic theory. And not that the modern, you know, idea of atoms came from him. That's a fascinating thing. Scientists developed that independently of what he was talking about before they even knew about him if you know what i mean so he was basically you know the isaac newton of his time like he was isaac newton a thousand five hundred years before isaac newton Mm -hmm. and you know the thing that gets me about him is you know he was called like the laughing philosopher because he just mocked everybody you know like if someone disagreed with him he just mocked people and he just laughed at like the absurdity of life and stuff Mm -hmm. and just basically <laughs> joked and got on like you know like fuck it you only live once do you know what i mean mm-hmm. like yeah. he was just a bit of a like a maverick and stuff and you know he actually his views were that different that plato himself actually wanted all his books burnt because he like their their idea was like obviously not of atoms and stuff and yeah. you know uh, yeah. they really really disliked that kind of idea and then it turned out to be you know basically you know what it actually and it's mm-hmm. just mad that back then yeah someone had that. from pure chance basically yeah. someone was able to crazy. come up with that yeah
2: because yeah, it didn't have the ago.
1: technology to no record. it wasn't like he'd done crazy. it through trial and error or scientific yeah. like
0: it was literally done through theory no. yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah no it was just thinking get, like guess, yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and he, he also like um you know came up with the idea that the earth wasn't the center of the universe and neither was the sun and basically talked about how there were hundreds of planets and hundreds of stars and you know like basically described what the universe is without actually calling it that this boy a time traveler is it i (laughs) fuck knows mate do you know what i mean it's (laughs) crazy (laughs) like holy shit uh but there's also a story like that he wanted to be so dedicated to to his work that he gouged his eyes out so as he couldn't like you know be distracted by anything i don't know how true that is and then the other one is probably copernicus nicholas copernicus Mm -hmm um scientists sort of around like the medieval period and stuff um and he basically was the first one you know in the modern era to state and go against the catholic church and say that the earth is not the center of the universe his theory was that the sun was which obviously wrong but it's just a massive leap and to go against you know like the status quo Mm -hmm. um you know and argue you know for something different you know that ended up being right and it's trailblazers like that like Democritus, and you know copernicus and stuff who you know lead the way for you know science as it is today Mm -hmm. so they're probably the two main ones like um
1: you'd like to have a beer with them
0: (laughs) i'd love to sit down for a beer with plato yeah and aristotle and Socrates. i'd love to sit in a room with all have like a chat with all three of them plato aristotle because it goes you know socrates taught plato plato taught aristotle you know what I mean, and they've all very different viewpoints and ideas love and stuff. To
1: sit down for a beer with my great grandis. I think that would yeah. be unbelievable. I think the crack would be mighty. Yeah, it
0: would. <laughs> You'd love to sit down with so many historical yeah, figures oh and people yeah. and just yeah. pick their brains. But absolutely. Any last, any final um, word? I just
1: think, uh, like, I'm
2: actually just gonna just gonna sort of iterate what you what you said there. I think the sheer number of people out there that uh, everyone can sort of choose, everyone can sort of um, like anyone. Can be inspired by anyone. You know what I mean, and it's it's like it's crazy how many figures out there that there could be. Yeah. In 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 relation to this question, in relation to this discussion, and um, I just think it shows it shows the power of the individual and the power of
1: like. Oh yeah, absolutely. Us as individuals, yeah, you know, influential yeah. as well they are. But
2: yeah. Any final words, Harry?
0: That's not all for me. Okay. That's all for me. Thank you very much for Thank coming you. on. I well um, hope you just enjoy the episode, uh, peeps. Um, all the best.